Okay, well, we'll there you go. go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, what was I going to say on top of that? Uh, oh, so um, when you're at the farms, do you get a chance to take home any hydrosol? Because now that we have hydrosol coming, you know, that was released with the Passion Rallies. Right, right. Do you get a chance to take um, stuff home? I never really did. Um, you know, I've been to um, St. Mary's and, and the Naples um, Highland Flats Farm as well uh, for Gold Retreat, and that was a pretty cool experience. And the, the particular day I was up there at the Highland Flats Farm, they were actually distilling white fur. Man, that was a beautiful scent. Uh, they brought that mulch in and started distilling it. They had just got done cleaning the, the cookers and was getting ready to uh, load the first batch of that white fur, and then they turned those distillers back on and just was just, wow, amazing smell there. But I didn't get it. I haven't had an opportunity to, to grab a bottle of, of hydrosol, but what was really cool was um, back when I was in the Mona farm for that winter harvest, I had the opportunity of, of course, uh, mulching, cutting down the trees, mulching them, and then we got back to the farm, and just the rest of the week we worked the farm. And um, we were distilling four or five batches a, a day. It takes about four hours to distill a batch. And so I had the opportunity to take that bottle home of uh, the trees that I physically cut down and mulched and was able to distill. So I've got a bottle that I keep on my shelf just because um, it, uh, it was Absolutely. a pre seal. Yeah. Yeah. So th- to me, that, that's, that's what I cherish. But definitely hydrosol. I'm looking forward to getting more because it's like when they released that at the rally, I was like, man, this just opens up the door to just about everything we distill uh, that we can ha- ha- tap into uh, with a hydrosol. Of course, not everything everybody's going to want. You know, I don't think anybody's going to want to buy a valerian hydrosol, but, you know, <laughs> maybe so. You never know. Well, yeah, because the hydrosol is not the same as uh-huh. what the oil smells like. Right. I mean, right, yeah, it's basically the floral water, the water that's being used to uh, cool the, the oil as it's going through the distillation process. And so there's there's elements of the essential oil in it, but it's, yeah, it's primarily um, water if you, if you just really get down to it. But um, just with the, the tiny amounts of molecules of the essential oil still kind of hanging out in it. So it has a similar scent to the essential oil that was distilled with that water, but um, just a different feature altogether for sure. Yeah, we've had a chance to take some back with us from Mona. Nice. It's cool stuff. Um, <clears throat> yep. Yeah, because otherwise they just they just dumped hydrosol. It's, they just dumped the water out. It's really for them. For I mean, for Young Living, it's, it's kind of like a, a waste product. Yeah, yeah, basically. And and I think when I was there at the farm, they were trying to. Uh, engineer a way to to filter it and reuse it, but it's just it's almost impossible to pull those molecules right back out um, and be able to reuse clean water to you know go through that process. So yeah, it's it's basically just the byproduct of of the distillation process exactly. And as a business, basically they'd be shipping water, and so shipping costs would be outrageous. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. So you've been to Mona. You've been to, you see Highland? Yeah, the Highland Flats have been there as well um, in St. Mary's. That one was a, uh, where they had the, um, the, the main part of the Gold Retreat area there uh, at St. Mary's uh, last year. And that was a beautiful experience for sure. They, all, they had the amazing opportunity to give us all a bottle of Melissa. So we, we came home with a bottle of Melissa from the farm. That was a pretty awesome uh, gift for us, uh, of course, there, qualifying for gold retreat and everything. 
But to just talk to Mary, I had an opportunity. Um, my wife and I were walking the farm right as they were kind of getting the ceremony started for um, everybody there. And lo and behold, I run into uh, Greg Larson and Mary Young and Joseph was there. And we're like, hey, let's say hi and take some pictures and chat. And she just was so humbled, of course, you know, being so close since Gary's passing, of course, at that time. And um, St. Mary's was, was Gary's farm. She said this was where it all happened for Gary. This That was the place where he researched. That was the place where he always wanted to go when he just needed time with God and, and just so many different things that were a part of their history that was there at St. Mary's. And, and so that was a, a great time for me to be able to hear that straight from Mary and, and the experience that she was able to have with Gary there at St. Mary's all those years and um, and to see how integral that, that farm is for us in Young Living because that's, that's really where it all got started. And so that's a, that was a pretty cool um, piece of history that I got to learn through Mary. That's super cool. Yeah, because not a lot of people have a chance to, you know, nowadays to even be in the same room with them. So. Yeah, yeah, that is true. So did you get to experience anything with the peppermint? Because I know there is a difference between the peppermint from um, Highland and St. Mary's. Just because of the I have not. No, they weren't working with any peppermint at the time. They were finishing uh, lavender, actually, um, up at St. Mary's that, uh, that season. And so they were um, transitioning and going to start working on some more uh, distillation. But they were finishing up with the lavender uh, harvest that they were doing, um, the last bit of it um, for the season. And so... Um, I didn't get to, to do any work with the peppermint, so yeah, I'm not familiar with uh, the differences that we're seeing between there. Yeah, I can't remember exactly how it works, but I mean, even the lavender from Mona versus St. Mary's, because the altitude difference. Oh um, yeah. The components are just a little bit different, so I think mm-hmm. it ends up being more earthy up at St. Mary's. Okay. If I remember. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Still the same. Very it's, cool. Pretty much still the same oil. It's just it's a little bit more mm-hmm. earthy. So some people go, "What's this?" So right, going, oh, right. It's probably from the St. Mary's farm versus, you know, the Mona farm or anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, that is true. And that's one of the things that we have to remember about farms is, you know, every, all farms are all in a different area. You know, like you said, the altitude difference, so the climate differences between farms across the world will create a different. Um, um, you know, plant life cycle, and so that's going to end up impacting uh, what's produced with the distillation process. So, you know, and that's one of the things that it's important to keep farms, certain farms where they're at, to allow those plants to grow in those natural climates that they're accustomed to. So it's not like we're going to go and try to take frankincense trees and replant them here in Texas and try to to produce the same oil, because guess what? The soil's different, the weather's different, everything's going to change based on the environment. And so that's what's unique about having farms across the world. It gives us the ability to really tap into the the way those plants were derived and, and have been for generations and generations, thousands of years, that we get to tap into those oils from those plants and see the natural constituents that come from where it naturally grows. Um, and that's a, that's a very important facet to um, what we do with Young Living and, and the farms that we have and the partnership farms that we have that uh, gives us the ability to access those plants. And it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing to think about um, when you look at the global scale of it. You know, you talk about how much we go through with just one farm. Well, that 
that's just one farm. Imagine multiplying that across globes and international marketing and traffic and trying to get the, the products and the oils, you know, across the seas back here to America and all that good stuff. So there's a, a lot of different variables that go into uh, that aspect, but that's the cost that we put into to be able to access those plants. Um, and again, where they naturally grow gives us the ability to tap into those natural constituents that are part of those plants in that region. So it's a pretty cool process all in all. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm going to backpedal a little bit because you're talking about Gary yeah. showing up in his his old truck and getting his old tractor. My oh, yeah. very first convention, I think I did some personal training early in the morning at different hotels that I walked, I cut across the backside of the Salt Palace. I was heading uh-huh. over to, I can't remember, one of the hotels across the street. And yeah. um, the owner of the company, Gary, showed up. So this is like 6 o'clock in the morning. He showed up to the back oh, of the wow. Salt Lake Center um, Palace. And uh-huh. it was a just an old white pickup. And so I tell uh-huh. people this story all the time because it's like, You'd think that anybody who has like a, well, back then, Young Living was like a $190 million company. Now we're at, you know, 2 to $3 billion. But even right, then, right. like a, a company that big, you'd think that the owner would be driving, I don't know, some swanky SUV or truck or sports car or something like that. Nope. It's right. a plain old white pickup, probably from 1980s. You know? Oh, yeah. Yep. That's scary. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's that's a super super important part to learn about that too, because you know Gary invested in what counted, and that was the farms. And Gary invested in in Young Living and put it back right back into the farms. He understood that in order to have oils for the generations to come, you got to have the farms. And so that mentality, you know, he wasn't a, a money hungry guy. He wasn't like you said into the flash and show like that. Um, he was living on the edge and doing everything he could to create something that would last for generations to come. And that's the character of not only Gary, but what I've seen as how Young Living has continued to move forward since his passing. And that's that's the heart of the company. I don't think that can be separated. Uh, I think that's just part of, of who we are as a, as a community within Young Living as well. Yeah, he's a farm boy at heart. Um, we had Jared on the call a couple years ago and mm-hmm. Jared actually said that um, he had a hard time keeping Gary in the office. If they had staff meetings or even you mm-hmm. know or corporate meetings, whatever, yeah. Gary could stay in the meeting room for about ten minutes. That was it. And then yeah. he had yeah. then he just said, Let's go out to the field and let's we'll talk business while we're in the lavender field. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the suits went out there in the lavender field and they're like come on, Gary, you know, can we just have like a half-hour, one-hour meeting? But <laughs> they did it, you know, that's, that's yeah. the way he was. Like, it, you know, mm-hmm. his life was in the field. Um, yeah. Super cool. So did you, have you ever gone overseas to any of the farms? I haven't been able to go overseas to the farms just yet. I'm definitely excited about it. Um, one, of the, one of the places I definitely want to go is to the Northern Lights Black Spruce Farm. That's going to be um, in my heart to definitely go to that uh, for sure. Uh, but I definitely want to travel um, overseas to definitely see some more farms um, all over Europe. Um, being in the Army, I was actually stationed in Germany, so we have a heart to return back to Europe soon. So when we go, we're, of course, going to make it intentional to see as many farms over there as we can. So that's going to be um, on our list coming up here pretty soon. So 
Absolutely. Well, you guys will be busy with all the farms they've they've had in the last two years pop up. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. It'll be worth it though for sure. Northern Lights would be cool. Have you ever, have you ever personally seen einkorn? Uh, no, I haven't. I saw um, at the Mona Farm uh, they had planted some when I was there for that week of winter harvest, um, and so it was it wasn't even a foot tall yet at that point. So I haven't seen it beyond that in person. Uh, but I know how Gary was talking about how they pretty much they're pretty much growing it at nearly every farm that we have, um, just to see how it grows in the different climates and in, in, in regions of the world. And so yeah, it's a pretty amazing plant in and of itself uh, for sure. To have a wheat stalk that's six foot tall, it's crazy. <laughs> yep. It's crazy. I mean, because we're so used to, you know, knee high. Right. With yep. all the, you know, with all the, the hybridization going on with the other wheats. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things, too, that makes that so unique is it's um, you just getting back to the ancient grain, just getting back to the, the ancient history of that and the original structure of that plant. Um, it changes everything. It gives us the ability to respond to it properly in our body and actually get the nutrients that that plant can produce for us to um, to process. So that's a huge, huge thing. And I think I'm looking forward to seeing more and more einkorn products come from Young Living simply because it, it can do so many different things um, and have such a, a sustainable uh, facet to our diet that I'm, I'm excited about seeing more options coming for, for the einkorn stuff for sure. And it tastes good. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We, I, we can't. Hey, get you ever tried the einkorn, einkorn berries? Also. Oh no, it, we we haven't had the einkorn berries yet. No. I'm just going to warn you that it's a process to cook it. Oh yeah. It's a process. Okay. <laughs> Take time with it, right? <laughs> uh, like I think you boil it for about an hour or something like that. Oh wow. And then yeah. I think yeah, and then you got to be mindful about you know getting the rest of the husks off and stuff like that because yep. we've yep. done it once no i think we've done it twice and uh-huh. we don't really do it that often because it's such a process oh yeah but um it's good it's just it's such a process to cook it mm-hmm. yep yeah that's so why you gotta be i mean other, you really gotta be out there for sure yeah you gotta really be a, a chef of some sorts or like really into cooking things like that really, really dedicated for that one huh yeah, I mean, you know, we make ghee on our own, which is a process in itself, but the einkorn sure. berries, it'd be on that same level as making ghee. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's pretty intense then, for sure. Yeah, it is, but um, it's good, it's good, it's just a process. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, I'm so excited about all their, the products with the einkorn coming out still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, yeah, Absolutely. And it's just a matter of time, like I said. Just they, it's a matter of, of course, inventory and being able to to research and come up with new products with it. But it's it's got so many capabilities. It's going to be pretty cool to see what comes out. So, have you, as far as like the seed to seal process? Yeah. Um, did you ever get a chance to to be in the greenhouses and like see how it started from seed to? Oh yeah, the absolutely. Green I spent probably, gosh, I don't even know, five hours one day um, basically separating the, the little seedlings into their individual little tubes in the greenhouses. 
because what they do with the lavender when they first start out, they just have the big open tray and they put all the lavender seeds. They just sprinkle it with like a salt shaker. And then once you start seeing the, the green up through the soil, um, you got to separate them into the individual uh, plants into their own little circle in the trays so that the roots individually take um, take root instead of being intermingled together and you just got a, a jumbled mess that makes it very difficult to transplant out into the field. And so it's a it's a very painstaking process. And I was there with the crews that were in the in the greenhouses and we we're all just working together and just literally this little one to one inch tall green plant separating them out, separating them the roots, just individually making each plant have its own spot in the next tray and giving it the ability to continue to grow. And so um, once they get it out to that closer to that yearling stage, then they transplant those straight out into the field. And so being able to see that painstaking process and actually do it for a good four to five hours in a row, I was super appreciative to not only the men and women that do that work on a daily basis, but honestly, I started thinking about it. I was like, man, the, the cost of that 15 mil bottle of lavender is so well worth it. When you understand all of the steps that it really takes and the time and effort for each individual plant that uh, we put out into the fields and then tender it and, and take care of it and, and get it prepped and ready for harvest and distillation. And then even in that process of itself, waiting for it to be the right uh, levels for it to be distilled as it's laying out in the, in the field or laying out in front of the distillery. I mean, just thinking about all of that stuff and all the processes that go into what it would take to make that one bottle, it was like, it, this is, this to me at that point, I was like, man, this is cost effective. For that 20 something bucks for that bottle, that's cost effective because of the amount that it took to go into it. And while I was there, I actually had the opportunity to meet the crew that was coming out to evaluate the farms because one of the biggest things that we talk about all the time when we're teaching our oil classes is how much we go into making sure we're, when we harvest, we're just harvesting that plant, right? So I met the crew that was coming in to evaluate the fields because they hand-picked the weeds away from the lavender plants before we harvest. And so they were coming in that spring to just kind of get an idea of what the layout was and how many acres they were going to be working that year. And that was a cool experience uh, to be able to meet that those people because it's like, really, that's, you know, you, you hear that and you see, you see that, you know, written out or, you know, on social media or whatever the case may be. Oh, yeah, we handpick the weeds. Like, but what does that really mean? That really means a whole bunch of people coming out and literally going row by row and handpick, literally handpicking those weeds out of the field and getting it ready for harvest. And, you know, just thinking about all of these steps that it takes to go into um, again, producing that one bottle of oil is just phenomenal, and the care and concern that's taken through that process. So let me give you another full example of, of some of the care and concern put into this. It's not just the labor intensiveness of it all. It's also the attitude and the mindset of the workers. Um, one of the things that the farm manager made very clear to us when we came to work the winter harvest, they said, look, we don't curse out here on the farm. We eat clean, and so we, we expect you guys to do the same. And so, you know, we're, we're out there working and we're doing what we needed to do. And, and it was to have us have the same mind frame of being clean and being able to have good communication between each other. And, and, and you could see that within the workers in order to foster a positive environment while working around these plants that are creating so much positivity in our health and wellness, right? And so it goes to, down to the very core of that. And um, 
that was just a fascinating perspective. I never never thought of that that would even be something that was instituted, but that was something that Gary was very passionate about. He said, look, workers that work on the farm and even those that go out to the, the winter harvest and doing the different harvests that are out there, you know, there's a process for this, and, and we got to take care of the plants, and that comes down to the very communication between each other and between us and the plants, right? And so that was something unique. I, I, I gained so many different um, aspects and, and learned so many lessons just from that one week of spending time there at the Mona Farm that, um, again, just that solidified my passion for sharing and living. Aside from, uh, you know, sharing it from the, the, the results side of it, like I, I was already experiencing amazing um, freedom in my in my wellness journey myself. So for me, it was it was on top of all of that. And then I had this amazing experience at the farm. Um, I was just ready to go gung ho, and sure enough, we did. You know, I was uh, excited with my wife, and we continued to share and grow. You know, all the way through silver and into gold. So it's just been an amazing journey for us, and I'm humbled and grateful to be a part of it. And I'm super grateful for the level of dedication and commitment Gary had to building this. Um, that that's something fierce right there and something to be grateful for, for sure. You're talking about stuff that they don't mention in any of the seed to seal no. literature or videos, period. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about no. the deeper stuff behind that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, and it's part of the heard, culture. And I don't know if you've experienced culture. this. I've also heard that he actually uses uh, red worms um, for his own mulching, too. Mhm. Yeah, you know, and it's the composting in itself was pretty pretty phenomenal. Um, you know, because once we distilled the juniper, you know, it's mulch, right? So once we distilled the, the juniper, we took it out of the cookers and took it to the back side of the farm. It wasn't trash. It was actually meant to cool down and then mix within the composting out in the field. And they had this huge section. And of course, it smells like compost, let me tell you. <laughs> this big old pile of compost back there that they would till and turn and just over time get it prepped and ready to go ahead and start putting it out in the field, you know, at the right time. <laughs> but then what they started doing is that, that very season of, of juniper harvest um, was the first time that Young Living, and remember this is February 15, I was talking to the workers that normally come out they were used, used to only coming out to harvest juniper every three months. So once every, every quarter, they would come out and harvest juniper for a season. And then once Young Living got their quota, they stopped the production. They stopped cutting down the trees and they said, hey, look, we got enough juniper. And that, that very week that I was there, they, they got the, full, the official order from Young Living, year-round distillation. We need enough juniper to supply the world. And so they, they got the order, and it was year-round distillation. And so that was a a huge shift in the production side of it, and those guys had a lot more stability with their work as well and wasn't such a seasonal thing. And the investment that Young Living makes into that is not haphazard. That There's a lot of in-depth thought process that goes into that. There's, like you said before, the sustainability factor. There's there's so many different things that go into uh, the behind-the-scenes that most people don't hear, and it's not something that we always need to talk about per se when it comes to seed to seal, but at the same time, those are the vital parts to it that help us understand everything that really truly goes into putting that oil in that bottle, getting it tested and sealed up for us to have in our homes. Um, and it's the little things like that that I believe that truly count, that add value to the quality of the products that we're able to get with Young Living because we've got a culture within the farms, uh, even down to the very workers that are there, to commit to having the ability to work on that farm to living out a purity life with good, clean health. You know, they encourage you to, um, you know, 
stick with even if you're going to do any red meat to do bison and and of course gary grew bison out there he had several bison out there on the mona farm but that was just an example of that and it was just unique to see that perspective um especially when it comes to the care of the plants and working in the greenhouses and, and being out in the fields and in the, the mindset that it takes to abide by those quote-unquote rules that Young Living set for those workers. Um, and it, that's a pretty cool thing. That, that, that just definitely adds so much value, again, to seed to seal and adds so much value to, um, again, to me, what I see is, is, is cost-efficient. Every single oil we have, I see that as being as cost-efficient as Young Living can make it. I honestly believe they should be worth well more than that. But that's not what it's about because, again, Gary wasn't ever about the profit, right? He was about the purpose. He was about the reason why we get these oils and what way we use the oils is the whole reason behind it all. So it's a pretty phenomenal process, and I definitely want to encourage anybody to get out to a farm, even if it's just to visit it. But if you have the opportunity to do a harvest, whether it's a winter harvest with one of the farms or any of the other harvests that come with the retreats and things of that nature, I highly recommend it. You learn so much more about the heart of the company and heart of what these oils really are all about, even for the workers there in the fields. It's, it's a pretty amazing experience, hands down. Yeah, and that's the other cool part is the farms are so transparent that you can go to any farm you want. Mm-hmm. They'll put you to work. But you can go yeah, to any farm exactly. you want and see, you know, exactly how, how the whole process works. Yeah. You know, and I think ultimately that's that's the true, you know, when you, when you talk about the, the, the side of the seed to seal that corporate doesn't talk about, yeah, you've got those factors to it, but really when it comes right down to it, you don't get seal if you don't have the seed. You know, if you don't have farms, if you don't have the ability to control the process and understand the process and know the process and the science behind it all, you're not going to have a bottle full of quality therapeutic-grade oil. And that's the, that's the biggest thing. And for me, you know, when, when, we, when we had the opportunity to get into Young Living, I was open to the concept, so it wasn't necessarily like, oh, I'm so against it or anything of that nature. But to me, it was, it was a unique concept, but really what drove at home was when I started seeing results. And when we go out and talk to people about the benefits of these oils in whatever context that may be, we have to understand that we're giving them the expectation that they're going to be able to produce results by using this lifestyle that we have within Young Living with all the supplements and oils and and the way we teach to eat clean and all that kind of stuff to help people get their health and wellness goals achieved. So when we are talking about that, we're trying to produce results, right? And in order to produce results, you've got to have a bottle of oil that's going to have the capacity to do that. The only way to do that is to actually own those farms and control that process and understand what that process looks like. And I think that's the true hidden secret of Seed to Seal is understanding that it really is the foundation of the company as a whole is the farms, hands down. And I think that's, that's, that's exactly why Gary loved it. I know he was a farm, farmer at heart, but I think it was more than that. I think it was the fact that he understood that the foundation of the entire company was right there out in the, out in the fields. And the more time he could spend out there, the more he could to do to produce more oil, to uh, find new plants and distill them and figure out that process and, and going through the research that he would go through to, to bring about new oils and all of that. Um, that that is the true hidden secret. You can't have the seal without the seed, and that that's to me is has been very foundational for me, especially from that that first farm experience for me um, back in 2015 for sure. Do you know Gary's uh, beginnings with um, the oils? Which part? 
um, when he was doing naturopathy and he was working with patients and he was growing his own mm-hmm. herbs. And mm-hmm. uh, do you know that part? Not, I guess not necessarily specifically. So he was growing herbs, um, you know, to help uh, treat some of his patients or clients. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one lady said to him, why don't you use essential oils? And he said, I tried. He goes, but I, I got inconsistent results. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, you're, you're using the wrong ones. And I, apparently he actually, like, he, the dude keeps track of everything. Like, he must oh, yeah. have a vault of information because mm-hmm. he, said, he actually, like, figured out that there was, like, certain lots of oils that came from certain places that were always inconsistent in other places. They were good, but not always. And mm-hmm. um, so anyway, this lady said, you need to go learn the real deal about oils. And so I think she bought him a ticket, and he flew over there, and he went to France. And it was, like, a big international symposium. Mm-hmm. And um, that changed his world right there as far as what exactly is going on with essential oils. And what's going oh, on yeah. with essential oils back then, so this must have been, I don't know, in the 80s, maybe early 90s, yeah. probably the 80s. Yeah, I realized, so, probably early look, 80s. there's an issue here. Like, there's quality oils out there, but what we're getting in the States, um, you don't know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. So that kind of woke him up and he thought, all right, let's get on this. Yeah, that was kind of the spurring of him and essential oils. Pretty amazing, pretty amazing indeed. Yeah, you know, so I mean, that was his his experience was there is stuff out there, but mm-hmm. you can't rely on it because it's inconsistent. Yep, yep. So for him to go through this whole process that you just talked about, like the stuff, and they don't even talk about seed and seal, all the little stuff about separating the plants and and mm-hmm. hand weeding, you know. The the fields and stuff like that. I mean, that's it went like right down to that that level. Yep, that's intense. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy. And that's so, why um, I say every time it's so worth the money that we spend on these bottles. And every time somebody says, "Oh, well, they're so expensive," I just cringe. I'm just like, you don't even know how how what I consider cost effective these oils are. You don't have any clue. And so, yeah, it's 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 amazing, hands down. Yeah, but you know, just to, like to turn their tune or change their stories, you just tell two of stories, and they're like, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. You know how labor intensive it is, and how strict they they are with the quality. Yeah. They're like, okay, I get it. So true. So true. Um. You haven't been to Hawaii? Mm-mm. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> I'm sure you got a whole list of uh, of things coming up. Um, so let's talk about, so you guys, the last time I talked to you guys, weren't you guys at gold? Didn't you just jump to? Yeah. We had just uh, recently had to rank to gold. Um and then, of course, subsequently qualified for Gold Retreat and went to Gold Retreat. So that was that was pretty exciting for sure. Um, so, yeah, our goal, um, of course, is to hit platinum this year, um, just uh, based on um, where our team is sitting and the growth that we had. We actually just last month had another silver flip in our team, so that was pretty exciting. Um, so we've, we've really kind of continued with our main philosophy, like we've chatted about before, um, of just pouring into the hearts of our people. 
um, when we can realize the ability that we have as individuals to be an impact for positive change in other people, um, then that change and that shift that happens and the, and the amazing shift that goes forward from there produces leaders like there's nobody's business. And we've seen that. And it's just been amazing for us to uh, to do what I call this heart work. It's a lot of heart work. we got to spend time. It takes effort to help people grow out of their shells and to be the people that they truly are inside. And it's just helping them get out of those comfort zones and those boxes they've created over the years and when you see them come out of that and realize that they do have potential within to do great things and to be a, uh, a great leader for them in their, in their own team, and they realize and they take ownership of their own team, and all of a sudden things start shifting and, and growth starts happening, it's a pretty phenomenal thing to see. And so, yeah, those, those are going to be some of the key aspects that we continue to foster within our team that has produced, uh, again, leaders and uh, up-and-coming leaders when it comes to, to ranking up. So it's, it's been an exciting uh, journey. Um, I think this has been um, a season of, of extreme growth on the personal development within our organization, at least, uh, over the last six months. And it's, it's been producing a lot of amazing results on the flip side of that, and we're starting to see a lot of fruit of that labor as well. Um, but uh, we've got a, a handful of folks that are just on the verge of flipping to silver and, and even one or two more that are on the verge of going to gold. So um, hitting, uh, hitting platinum by the end of the year is more than feasible, and uh, we're super excited about that for sure. Because the more people that we can have an outreach to, the, the more that lives are changed, and that's our ultimate goal is to be a blessing to other people and to see their lives change for the better. Man, you just brushed over like a gold nugget that I don't think very many people just picked up on. And they're probably like wondering, how are you doing this? You know, because Jen, <laughs> when she brings on leaders, she usually picks the golds and the platinums because they're the ones that are like working it. You know, by the time they get the diamond, they're kind of like, you know, in management oh, yeah. mode. We're in the gold trenches, and platinum, so They're working it. And so she always brings on yep. the people who are working it. And yep. so what I'm gathering is that you're, the way, the way you're doing this is because you you hit you said one thing that was like really powerful was was getting people to step into their leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of it was personal growth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because when you get to well, you know, even when you get to silver, sometimes you get stuck in a management mode and kind of like micromanage people, which is yeah. the worst thing to yeah. do. Oh yeah. Um, or you kind of just go hands off and just say, you know ask me questions when you need to, but, you know, do your thing. Mm-hmm. But you are taking yep. a different approach as far as really focusing on developing personal growth mm-hmm. and just kind of like getting over your junk. Yeah. You know, as we, as we built early on, we quickly realized that we all got junk, <laughs> you know, every one of us do. And yep. if we're not willing to work through that, and get on the other side of that, and we'll start walking in the freedom of your own identity and who you are and your own purpose, and you're going to struggle trying to become a leader in your living. You're going to struggle developing a large enough of a network marketing business to be successful with it. And we've seen leaders uh, come and go that never really kind of cross that, that threshold of really diving into their personal growth and personal development that eventually their businesses didn't grow very fast or not at all. And they always wondered why, and we always brought it back to it. Look, this is about people responding to who you are. They know you 
And when they see something different coming from you, they want to be a part of that. When they see something positive out of whatever it is that you came from, people want to be a part of that. So you've got to cross those boundaries. You've got to go into that territory of working through the skeletons in the closet, working through the past, whatever it may be, to be able to break out of that shell and get out of your comfort zone, to get out there and get on a stage and talk to your people, in, in, in whether it's in front of a, a classroom in a living room or literally on a stage in a, in a hotel conference room or whatever the case may be, uh, you've got to be able to get through that. And the only way to do that, at least from what we've seen in our own personal uh, business, is just to work through those personal development features and to, to really understand that that part of that is a, is a journey of time. Um, of course, not everybody's going to be able to flip the light switch and all of a sudden they're, they're rock stars and going to Diamond next week. That's not necessarily the case, but at the same time, we, we, we build for long-term growth. Like we're, we're, we're not here to enroll the most people so that we can hit a rank a couple of times and, and then, like you said, sit back on our laurels and just answer questions. No, our goal is to really truly be a blessing to people. We've been through so much, my wife and I, um, you know, we we just started recently started a new page called Just a Couple of Saps on Facebook, and we just we're just sharing our story. We want people to get connected to the fact that there's hope beyond all of this pain and hardship that life can bring, from divorce to trauma to whatever the case may be. We've been there, we've done that, and so we want to be able to restore hope in people. And we've seen on the flip side of that that when people actually take that challenge and start working through their stuff, how amazing. Um, that they are just, they, their whole attitude changes. The, the light in their face is just, it's, they shine. And the role and responsibility they take within their own organization changes. And that's where we see the shift. Because we could do this all day long. We could build our whole business. We could train every single person in our, we got 1,400 members in our team right now. We could do that. That would take up all the time in the world. That would take up all the energy in the world. But in all reality, what we need to do is help our leaders through those, those obstacles or those roadblocks on their personal journey because then they can help their own leaders do the same thing. Because we always talk about duplication is key in network marketing, right, in our businesses. In order to truly do that and to get sound leaders that are going to take this thing and run with it, you've got to be able to, 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 to duplicate that part of it as well. It's not just teaching them how to teach a class. It's not just teaching them the benefits of the oils. This is, it goes beyond that. It goes into are you are going to be able to take the, the reins of being an entrepreneur and be successful in your network marketing business with Young Living? And what does it take to make that happen? Because 99 times out of 100, people have never come from a background of being an entrepreneur. You know? And so what we've got to do is not just train them into what that looks like as far as the characteristics and attributes of, of a person that is an entrepreneur, but in order to get to that point, sometimes you've got to work through some of that baggage in the back and the history, right, of, who, of what that person's been through. And so our, our, our whole mantra from day one, when, when my wife and I said, hey, look, we're going to do this as a business, but we're going to do this to help people. This isn't about money. This isn't about, you know, fast growth. This isn't about whatever that might be, even though that's an option out there. Certain, certainly people are able to do that. Our goal is to, to be a blessing to change lives and then to duplicate that into our leaders. And so we're starting to see some major shifts and transformations from that as well. That's a big deal because that's where you get people to stick and stick yep. with it. Yep. Yep. Because it, it doesn't take very long for, for people that aren't willing to work through their stuff to all of a sudden fall off the radar as well. Well, that just saves me time. It saves us time in effort to where we can pour into the people that actually do want to work through this stuff because they actually do want to build this business and they do want to be a diamond one day. And so for us to be able to spend the right time with the right people, 
you're going to have to get up close and, and say, hey, look, this is the journey we're going to do, or let's walk through this. You know, and when we start teaching them some of the attributes of being a good entrepreneur and taking care of other people, and all of a sudden they realize that they're, they're struggling with that aspect and they, they see the areas within themselves that need that personal development, it's a, it's a, there's no fence sitting when it comes down to it. People are going to be like, yeah, let's do this, and we'll figure it out as we go. And then there's people that are like, yeah, that, this is great. I'm, I'm just going to you know, buy oils and stay on my ER, and they walk away, at least from the business side of it. And that might be for a season, and um, for some, and some it, it may be a permanent thing. But at the same time, it it, it it's always comes down to the personal development. In order to, to build quality leaders, you gotta you gotta be able to have quality of character, and I think that's one of the biggest things that we've learned along the way. Absolutely. Well, I'm so glad I asked that question because that's that's a big one, you know. Because I think people struggle with how do you like how do you do the business and how do you get people to stick. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just nailed that. You just nailed it right there. Yeah, and and you can't be afraid to just say, hey, it, it's not the right time, you know, for for me to mentor you right now. You gotta you gotta be okay with saying no to people, even though you'd love to be able to have, you know, fourteen thousand diamonds on your downline. It's, you know, you've got to come into the place where you realize that not everybody's ready for it right now, and then you move to the ones that are, and you continue to foster those relationships over time, and hopefully those folks come back around and say, yeah, you know what, I'm ready now. And we've seen that occasionally as well. But it's important for us to come to a place, too, where we realize, look, we've only got 24 hours in a day. We can't make more out of it. So we can only help so many people. And those are the ones that are, are wanting it are the ones that we're going to end up spending our time with them. And, and, of course, we never neglect people. We always foster a relationship. But at the same time, when it comes down to actually mentoring them and work, helping them work through some of the personal development side of it, and to get them into healthy routines and habits uh, for their own personal belief systems and their identity, it becomes real evident real quick what their purpose is. And some see Young Living as, as the, you know, the vehicle to get them to that purpose so that they can be empowered financially to go do that thing. Or some see it as, this is my purpose. I want to I go and teach Young Living for the rest of my life. They're, they're, we've had both, you know. But it's until you can get to there that point that they can make that decision. You've got to work through that personal development side of it for sure. Nice. Wow. Awesome. Well, Jason Sapp, we're at the top of the hour, and uh, I totally appreciate having you on the call. Um, your stories with the farms, your stories with just how you're doing the business, the, I mean, gold nuggets like the entire time. It was super awesome. So, yeah, I appreciate it, man. And thank you again for having me back on for sure. Yeah, and when, I, when we're at convention, I'll make sure I stop by and say hi. I'm sure you're going to have a booth again, right? Yep, yep. I am uh, actually just got done securing my table. I'll be table 20 at the Roma Sharing uh, Vendor event there at convention, so y'all definitely come on by, come see me. Uh, y'all can definitely follow me, of course, through all the links that I've got and all that fun stuff through my website and Facebook and Instagram and all that good stuff. But, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it and look forward to seeing you too at convention, man. Cool. I'm going to unmute and I'm going to let everybody say goodnight to you. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Monty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Young Living. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's great to meet you. Thank you so much. See you again. Nice. All right. Thanks, Monty. Thanks, guys. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. I'll let you go, Jason. Take care, bro. All right, bud. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye.